Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. My goodness. It's 2022. Hello. Um, hi, I'm RJ. I'm with Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Hello. <laughs> um, Megan is back with us. Hey, Megan. Hey, guys. And Brian, of course. Hi, Brian. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. That guy's here. You're the only person, I think, who's been on all of them. You're, you're, you, you are you are HF Pod. So... My goals have been achieved in early 2022. This is amazing. My New Year's resolution from 2013 finally happened. <laughs> oh, man. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining. Never make a resolution. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, thanks for joining. We are going to be talking about this very interesting fish run from Hampton 2003. Jonathan was there, so he's going to give us some on the ground reports. I, I sort was of. partially there. 
partially there. <laughs> um, we'll explain what that and is later. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Um, we haven't we haven't talked for a while. Um, you guys did the recap of the New Year's show, um, which I wasn't I wasn't there for. But um, Megan, can I just hear from you, like your your main takeaway from that New Year's show? I just felt really grateful that they did that for us. They didn't have to. It was such a huge pivot and so impressed with the whole production team and just the whole team in general, the management team and everybody, and just the humility and courage it takes to perform a fish show for no one. I think that's pretty awesome. And I think there were some incredible moments. I really enjoyed it. Nice. I think courage and humility are a great theme to take with us to today's episode. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I have big thoughts on that today. <laughs> well, I'd like to build on on that as well, which is we all know that um, they didn't want to do fish shows without audiences. Uh, that was something that they came out and said early in pandemic, and uh, and then then they went ahead and did it anyways. And uh, like you said, Megan, they didn't have to do anything. Uh, we would have been disappointed, but, uh, you know, most of us would have understood, right? Uh, but instead, they played, I thought, a pretty fun show, and it was great. Really cool. Okay, well, thank you guys for humoring me with that. Um, all right, Brian, should we take a quick ad break and then come back and talk about this um, delightful run of fish shows from 2003? Absolutely. Um, we are sponsored here today at HF Pod Live. By Sunset Lake CBD, our very good friends. They're a farmer-owned business which ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont your door, Jonathan. Uh, they were a Vermont dairy farm <laughs> producing milk for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, somehow that's four years ago now, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. With a product for everyone, you and you and you and everyone out there, they offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD coffee crafted to help with stress, aches, and pain. Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. And I just would like to pause here for a second to describe my experience with Sunset Lake because it's always been wonderful. I had a little pre-roll collection last year and uh around this time last year very very stressful very intense time in world history in american history in just existing as a human i guess human history and i would finish work and i'd take one of those pre-rolls on a nice little walk with me and it was perfect man it set me at ease it took away all my stress it didn't give me that like head high that you get with uh thc so i was able to come back home cook dinner play with my kids watch the news do a little bit of work hang out you know all the great things that you can just do but i felt at ease and i felt stress-free so thank you thank you thank you sunset lake for that please visit sunsetlakecbd.com use promo code hfpod for 20 percent off your purchases once again that is sunsetlakecbd.com promo code HF pod. And RJ's out. You just scared him off. He's like, That's I can't it. talk about these shows. That's it. He's like, I'm I mean, going to get some of those pre-rolls. I would, I would argue that he decided to go and just order those pre-rolls immediately. Yeah. He was like, yeah, he was know, so motivated. You can the on RJ while you go to the, uh, sunsetlakecbd.com. <laughs> it was just too good. It was too good. I just had to, I couldn't, I couldn't even pick up from there. Um, Brian, thank you for that. Okay, guys, we're going to talk about Hampton 2003. We've had a spirited exchange this afternoon, um, and, and we're going to continue that here. Um, I guess everyone knows where those Hampton 03 shows started, which was the, the night before at MSG. And um, I was reminded of, of you know, the, the excitement that there was in the air, I guess, just, just around the the message boards that existed in those days and the conversations that people were having about fish being back. And I think that MSG show was, was a good like welcome back. And then coming to these Hampton shows, I never ever go back to these shows. And I guess um, now I kind of remember why, but, but I think there are some things <laughs> in here that, that are worth going back to, but so fish comes stuff, back man. after, after what, 18 months or so. Um, and they're, 
they're back. And man, this coming back to Hampton, they're clearly excited to be there. Um, three shows, but the the context of these shows is just I don't know. I, I feel like Jonathan, you were there, but did it feel like you knew what like you knew what like you to those shows, or did it feel like a new era of did it feel like going back to fish or like it was like a new a new thing? Yeah, both it, you know like we were ready to just come so I, first of all uh to be clear i was only at one of these three shows uh we uh left my daughter with the in-laws and bolted down for one night it was great and um but uh for you know the excitement was huge the the, the levels were high tickets were hard to get uh also weird with the opening the run in at MSG on New Year's and then coming down here for three to Hampton for, for, for three. That was just, that was a little odd. Tickets were tough. I had tickets for the wrong night. I got a swap, met up with a buddy and swapped to get our tickets uh, for night two is what I went to. So I won't jump ahead to that. But, um, but I, you know, I felt like, yeah, I don't, I don't even know. I, I think our, my, our expectations supplant, the reality and even in my memory it's not clear what it was like i just remember being so excited to have fish back um i had had plenty to do in the in the meantime but uh i was really glad that here we were we're seeing fish again fuck yeah and you know how could this be entirely bad and it wasn't brian you you um started seeing shows around this time what was your what was your intro to to these shows what do you remember about these shows coming coming back yeah i mean i remember kind of like what jonathan was saying there was just so much excitement around the return at that point in time um these are two extremely iconic venues um doing kind of the flipped new year's run gave it a different feel for a lot of fans opening on new year's eve and then having these three shows afterwards spill into 2003 and um knowing i i at the time they had announced the winter tour. I don't believe they had announced summer tour at this point, but we knew we were getting a full fish tour after this. So going into it, it had this for someone like myself, I was really excited because I was going to be able to watch a set list roll in for the very first time of new fish shows and new fish songs and old fish songs and see where things were placed and really experience the vibe of that for the first time. We're talking 2001. There aren't really a lot of videos online. Um, really your experience is listening to tapes and the live fish experience, those, those live, uh, uh, the live fish series. So like actually seeing a new show happen and understand how they're going to communicate in this new era uh, was really exciting for me. Um, without jumping too far ahead, I mean, I do remember once the show started, it was that first moment of understanding part of being a fish fan is this really fascinating dichotomy of being so excited and so happy and so critical all at the same time. And I felt like these four <laughs> shows, especially the Hampton shows, like people were really nice on New Year's Eve when it was happening. But these four Hampton or these three Hampton shows were such a great intro to the discourse and the community and and how to communicate about fish in real time. Discourse and discord. In the <laughs> a, lot, a lot of everything. Megan, what, do, what were your what were your memories? Yeah, it was an interesting time for me. 2.0 is the only era I've never seen fish, and it, I didn't see any shows in 2.0. I was really, I know, I know. It's I was fine. really. You didn't miss much, really. Just a removed. few long, weird jams and a lot of floats. <clears throat> That's all. Yeah, but it was it was cool to listen back though because I've never listened to these shows actually, so it was really cool to listen back to them. I think at this point in my life, I was really, I was like working two jobs trying to make it as an actress in New York City. I was kind of embarrassed of a lot of my life choices in the past when I was like super into fish and I was trying to like distance myself from them. And I just, I really separated myself Look from the music. Guy. I know. And here I am <laughs> back obsessed. Yeah. That so is, it's, That is an ooh. episode we're going to do in a couple of months. At what yes. point were you embarrassed of your previous life as a fish fan? And how did you make, okay, uh, how did you make peace with it? Cause I, I got it too, but go on. You did Never. too? Never. I did too. Yeah. Jonathan, you're just more enlightened than we are. No, yeah. I just I, I actually have li literally lived two lives so simultaneously. So I, I, I'll have something for that episode. I promise. Okay, good. 
RJ, what were your, what were your memories of, of this overall run? Oh man. Um, I don't have many. I mean, I, I was, I feel the same, similarly to what Megan said, I was not, um, I was not like, I was not going to the shows. I was not really even paying that close attention at the time, which is, um, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's more common than, than I think, but, um, I was definitely excited to, to listen to them. This is, as most people probably know, the first time that fish shows were available to listen to on the internet afterwards. Right. And, um, and regularly, regularly webcasted, not, not all the time, but, but there were webcasts, um, so we were able to start listening to these shows and it was, um, so that was interesting, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like it was, I, I, I identify with what you're saying, Megan, and that I was, I was doing like my life and it seemed to not be really related to fish. Although I did go to the Greensboro show a month, um, two months later. Nice. Um, and that was pretty cool. Then I was like, all right, I, I should go see more shows. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I guess a lot of us just sort of like went and did different things when we weren't sure if they were coming back or not. Um, mm-hmm. But I was also like, I don't know, a lot of us are in the same age range, but I was like 22 or 23. And so I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I was like, just trying to like work a job and go out every night and like stay alive. You know, I wasn't really paying attention <laughs> to much yeah. else. Trying to pay rent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was that was a huge that was a huge goal to pay rent. Um, but <laughs> but I do I do remember like these shows being. I just have a I have a weird relationship with with two point um, musically, and so I, I think we need to talk about that. Not not in my perspective, but mostly Brian, your perspective, because I know you love this year and a half of of music. And um, going back, I just it's interesting to me to there are some moments that i appreciated for sure but i feel like in general it's it's hard to um some of it some of it's a slog to get through i Mm. feel yeah Um, i mean it's it's an interesting period and like you hear it as we'll get as we get into it like you hear a lot of the inherent challenges that are going to kind of be daunting to get through for the period in time um a lot of their newer songs are very serious, are very somber. And if they want to showcase them, they're going to completely change the dynamic of an overall show. Uh, Trey, notably, and you can hear it from the very start of the New Year's Eve show, and then it continues into this show, has a completely new guitar tone and a completely new approach to playing all of these songs that just 18 months earlier sounded like fish songs. Um, The band has changed their arrangement on stage. They look more than ever like just a standard rock band with the drummer in back on a raised platform and Trey and Mike kind of in the positions you would expect a guitarist and bassist to be in. Um, And also this is the, and I think most interestingly, this is the midlife crisis period. Um, I'm right around the age of where fish was at at this point, which is kind of weird to me. And, you know, seeing, the questions that they had about the next step in their lives and also about where they are and what does it mean of what they've been doing for the last 20 years? And does it mean anything? Has it just been this fun party thing that they've carried with them since they were 18? Or is it something that actually has longevity and actually, you know, requires them to think deeper about it? You can see that challenge going on both on stage as well as off stage. And I think part of that informs why this would end in a muddy field some 18 months later. Yeah. I mean, there, the guitar thing is, uh, is a big thing out front for the audience, right? We're hearing Trey and it just doesn't sound the same. These new songs mm-hmm. and we'll get into some of them. I think uh, touch on them at least are, well, there, there's an array, right? And there, some are, not as fun as others some are amazing um but they they don't they're not they don't have a place yet in a set or you know they they don't quite mm. hang together with the rest of what they're doing um but yeah i think I, i'm with rj on 2.0 in general which is to say there is good stuff but uh i could I, and i could make a really kick-ass playlist but there's a lot of stuff that um, I would skip. That said, listening to these three shows, speaking kind of overall, I, um, I, there's probably more in these three shows than I would have guessed going into it. 
going into this re-listen. Um, and, and I'm not just saying that because I've actually only been listening to my new Jerry Garcia band LP box set exclusively <laughs> for the past month. But um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I really did listen. And, uh, it was good stuff. You have, you have to be patient, I think, when you're listening to this stuff. Like you have to be willing no, to sit through just let it the flubs um, and, you know, not – I mean, I think to me it was really – jarring just because it makes me realize how good fish is right now. Um, because I hear this and I'm like, whoa, what, whoa, they just don't make mistakes like that right now. And which is pretty incredible. And also thinking about how, when they came back from this unintended break during COVID, how incredible they sounded right away, which is pretty amazing, just shows kind of where they are and how mature they are and how much they've been practicing. And so it was interesting to contrast that to this, to this break and how it kind of, how they didn't sound that way to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I I think you're right that there's there's more here than I would have expected. Um, I, I think maybe this is a common feeling, but I have like such a emotional relationship with this music that, like, in contrast to the Grateful Dead, like I don't the eras of Grateful Dead that I enjoy most don't really have much to do with where Jerry was as a person or as like where he mm. was within his journey and struggle with addiction you know like i just like the eras that i like with fish it's like i can i can hear it i can like feel it when i'm listening to these 2.0 shows like it's totally you know and that's weird because i and brian it's interesting that you can like it's admirable to me that you can like put that aside and and enjoy the music for the music um because i i find it hard to separate those things but um this was like a celebration i think coming from from the start right like the chalk dust bathtub gin combo at the beginning of the first show was great and they're, high energy and it sounded like they were having outstanding. fun outstanding I, I, yeah. really, I think that's yes. like you hear that and you're like we're in for some stuff right here i, I thought those yeah. two and then you know it's ice is fine and good but uh back on the train right after that is also so really good it's it's like a you know uh type one version or whatever but it's really solid yeah, the big moments for me in this in this first set are, and it's where you hear kind of the hint of almost what could have been, is mm. Chalk Dust Bathtub Gin to open up the run is a pretty bold statement. And it's it's a one-two punch that you would see a lot in 2009 and 2010 because both songs are going to deliver almost immediately to the fan base. And here we we hear the band figure out, like they, they've they've fall almost immediately into a type two jam in Chakta's torture mm-hmm. which back in 2003, early, early 2003 is incredibly rare. This is not what we anticipate from Chakta's torture. So we're suddenly in a new sound in a new era. Bathtub gin goes 18 minutes and is, you know, just like cascading hose. It's just this, like it's, it's this glorious moment where Trey is fully connected. The rest of the set, I think you start to hear, you know, where the highs of the era are going to be, but also where the challenges of the era are going to be. Um, round room. It's its debut. We get all the round room debuts here during the show. It fades out into this kind of noise jam, which to me speaks to the highs of this era where every single song could fade into some sort of a jam that would showcase this improvisational communication and connection that the band had at this time that, if if nothing else, that had not left them since 1.0. But then, you know, your stash, your character zero, these two songs that are such staples of their early era are kind of shells of themselves. Character zero, especially, is like the first moment where I heard it and I felt like, I think this band is actually tired. Like to RJ's point, mm-hmm. to Megan's point, this is supposed to be a celebration, but I think they're actually a little tired going into this and aren't fully ready to re-embrace who Fish is. Well, you definitely hear that in the stash um, as somebody who... You are a stash and, fiend. You know, and like, <laughs> you know it, it's, it's one of the ways I like to take the temperature of the band. Is totally. They play stash, yeah. and they really just barely play stash. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty rare. I, pretty rare. It's a rare thing to say. I actually think the first set, too, is a little bit better than the second set. I mean, there are some really good moments, but to me, that first set is stronger. The second set to me was a little bit 
a little bit harder to listen to. I don't want to say there's like an equal number of highlights, but they spread them out. <laughs> so yeah, 46 yeah. days kicks ass. Yeah, that's really First good. Play, yeah, pretty cool. It's mm-hmm. long, it's jammed, it's really good. Simple is fine. Doesn't really go anywhere special. It's just simple. Um, Thunderhead is uh, better than I remember it in my brain. Thunderhead is an interesting song that they probably should I love it. learn to play again. Um, and I think the antelope actually uh, is kind of kick-ass. I like this. It is it's definitely loose. It's definitely loose. Yeah, but I mean, like, gets intense in, mm-hmm. in the, the good in a good way. It's interesting to me that like forty-six days in this setting is this slow, methodical psychedelic song, <laughs> and it would kind of remain that way throughout much of two There's a really long version. Uh, nearly 40 minutes from it later in the summer. And both of them kind of had the same vibe where they just like, they approach it as this like 5 a.m. blues number where they know the riff, they know how to play it, but like they're not in a hurry. And you have to go to like 2010 fish to actually hear them fully realizing the bar room rock potential for the song so it's kind of a song that like starts one place on the studio album ends up another place in the live performances is this incredible jam vehicle and then becomes kind of a fully realized song seven or eight years later which which is is interesting about a lot of these 2.0 songs some of them thunderhead have been forgotten about i am a thunderhead stan i wish that they would bring it back it is a gorgeous ballad uh, I think it would fit perfectly coming out of an extended jam in any 3.0, 4.0 fish show. Perhaps the meaning of the lyrics are a little bit too intense for the band. Who knows? Um, but I, I think it fits really nicely here. But it is, to Megan's point, kind of where you get this disjointed effect in the second set in 2.0. And you see this a lot in 2.0. My friend, my friend, limb by limb, Thunderhead are very methodical songs to play midway through a second set. And and a lot of the complaints you'll hear about this era tend to do with the energy because of song selections like this. Yeah. yeah. They can take the time to relearn time turns elastic. They could take the time to relearn. <laughs> a little bit easier. <laughs> they, uh, I, I just think like it's them being tired. Number. It is. Um, they, we can, this is our official lobby for that for Brian. Brian's wish for them to bring it back. Um, just on the point of them being tired, I mean, you guys listened to Alive Again and Trey talked about coming back at, at MSG, um, what, I guess two nights before this and how like all everything that they wanted to leave behind at the end of 2000 like was back immediately. And mm-hmm. there was a lot that he said it, that didn't make it into that episode, but I think it was pretty intense like right away. So they probably... I assume they just had the whole, I mean, I think he said hundreds of people were backstage again and people were, so I assume that starting with the two nights before this, they just started having like another big party that kind of carried, carried on to Hampton. And after a couple nights, like I would be tired too. So I think it's, I think, I think that all seems really like evident in the music. I think it's an interesting thought of like, everyone was showing up to these shows, both backstage and, front of house thrilled that fish was back and and everyone is on like another level waiting for fish to come back and i'm sure that they were excited as well but i'm sure when like it was harder to become fish again like that exhaustion set in and if there's all these expectations around them but for them they're going through the motions of it i don't know it's 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 challenging and maybe it's a good segue into the second show of the run because this seems to me to be the show where they really try to play an all caps fish show and the challenges of the era seem to overtake them. So I would like to set a little bit. I was at this one, so I'll set the stage just a tiny bit. So, um, I got, we got there. I had to meet a friend in a hotel room to swap some tickets and, you know, got the kind of report on the night before and, and, it was basically um, things are back exactly as they were, like, and as far as the audience and the scene, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I got the report, uh, don't park over 
by the whatever Walmart or whatever was right over nearby at that time uh, because a bunch of people got towed, which um, caused us to predict correctly that they would play contact. Um, and also that kind of vibe and those kinds of things kind of feed into what you hear in Makasupa and just the Hampton experience writ large was in full swing. Um, it's not quite like that these days, I swear. But back then, man, it was it was heavy. Uh, and and so they then they come out, they open with tweezer, and it's kind of cool, right? I mean, you guys like this tweezer? I, th- I like this tweezer. I had a lot of fun with this. It's like show, slower, tempoed, kind of like it's a, a feeling to it. Yeah, this ain't nineteen ninety one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would come love out, to like go ahead, RJ. I was just going to say, when you come out and you open up a tweezer, you're like really putting a, putting it out there, you know, and like mm-hmm. making yes. a statement. And it, I think it's good. It's a good tweezer, but it's also like, yeah, just like you said, Brian, it kind of continues the, the theme. Um, sorry, Megan. I was going to say, I think the j- the jam is better than the composed section, which I think is, I felt like true 2.0. of a lot of these songs. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I'd rather listen to this part. Um, the other part makes me feel uncomfortable. But I would love to know more about like Trey's guitar tone. Like it's uncompressed. What does that mean? And maybe I should know this, but it, it's like a, he's doing something different with his tone. We, we, we don't have the right guy on here. I mean, basically, I think the complaint uh, from the uh, pedantic fans is that Trey stopped using the Ross compressor. Therefore, his sound was all wrong. And it was just different. Mm-hmm. Uh, a yeah. compressor effectively and the simple version of that is that it will takes all of the sounds and raises them to a similar floor. So he could play really nice, quiet notes and it will raise them up to be kind of as mm-hmm. loud as the loud notes. Also, increases the sustain. Uh, because mm-hmm. it keeps instead of the sound trailing off, it stays louder. Uh, but that's the super light version of it. Somebody else could probably. That's all that. I want. I can't handle anything deeper than that. But yeah, that I mean, I don't. Dot com for yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't love it. It just it sounded not as rich and just it just made me want his regular it's tone. It, yeah, it's different. Especially yeah, I mean, uh, as compared to what we're hearing these days. Like yeah, the new yeah. 4.0 tone is so dope. And yeah, it's gorgeous. Uh, it has something more in common with the 1.0 tone than like yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, I mean, you know when you're listening to a 2.0 jam or a 2.0 show just based off of Trey's tone, any standard version of a song played, one of the things that's going to take away from it potentially is the fact that this tone is so overbearing. So in divided sky in gold apparatus in Harry hood, you know, all the Reba, all the classic fish songs, you're going to hear this tone along with a tweezer like this, where this tone to me fits this tweezer and it fits the vibe of this overall jam. I think you would one, (laughs) one critique I would make though is, it's it's strange. 2.0 is not really the strongest era for tweezer. You you have Nassau uh, 228. You have a pretty strong version from Brooklyn 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, though, most tweezers are like this tweezer, where it's a pretty straight ahead rock peak jam, right around 12 to 14 minutes that doesn't really lift off into kind of that next phase that you anticipate with tweezer where it kind of goes out into the unknown. You get it. I mean, Nassau, Chicago has a very good version, but tons of tweezers throughout 2.0 don't actually live up to the jamming expectation of 2.0. It's a, it's always been a weird kind of footnote to the era to me is, is, is that the jamming song like fish's jam vehicle never ends up being, you know, like the, 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 it never fulfills kind of the expectation that you get from other eras. That's why we have Piper in 2003. It's fine. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> um, is it, I go ahead, RJ. Well, I was just going to say, is it fair to say that the, that the highlight of the show is the pebbles and marbles? Is that a, is that a fair assessment? That's where I was going. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. I, we have to talk about the song that follows, but um, but let's spend an hour on Pebbles and Marbles. I, after this <laughs> show, for weeks, 
and weeks after this show, I listened to this Pebbles and Marbles over and over again, like ex- almost exclusively. Like I, I probably listened to the show two or three times or whatever in the weeks that followed, but I would I listened to the Pebbles and Marbles like five, six times in a row a day. Like I love, love that when song. that happens. This version of it just hit me like a lightning bolt. It was amazing in the room for me. I don't know what anybody else felt. I can't say. I I, I daren't guess, and I haven't looked it up. Um, but it, it's important to me. It came out of a you know followed a I thought competent foam, um, but it was just otherwise it was just it's completely pulls out from the set and is just a completely different moment than the rest of the set. Yeah. Pebbles is a highlight throughout the entire Hampton and winter tour, uh, part of 2.0. They, they wouldn't play it as much over the summer for some reason, but I I would argue that every pebbles that was played throughout this early part of 2.0 is worth hearing. Um, they just, you could tell that they were feeling this song completely from the jump i mean this what i say in the in our text thread this debut basically justifies the entire run yeah he did say that um (laughs) and then the so the you enjoy myself is like to me the kind of peak of the everything we've been talking about in that it's 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 so sad 2.0 moment it makes me feel so sad (laughs) it's so sad maybe yeah, exactly. It's sort okay. of like a fore, foreshadowing of Coventry. And, and then they restarted, and the second run-through is not much better than the first. No. Um, yeah, they just you get know, he hits a couple bits <laughs> that he just, you know, he didn't hit the first time, but he misses as many others. And and then, you know, the jam in it, you know, everything a little bit further into the song after the, you know, extraordinarily tricky composed parts in the beginning uh, <laughs> are fun and good kind of like uh like that tweezer right Meg? um yeah it's exactly uh, yeah i remember that moment in the room and i can tell you that it, you couldn't really hear the flubs the first time through because the room was so loud so just so much screaming oh they're playing you enjoy myself yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, he stopped. What's he saying? You know, it was it was kind of like oh. that. And then the second time when they restarted, so now we're listening. Oh. Okay. Now we're really hear, listening to. I hear what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. For someone who doesn't love vocal jams, this vocal jam's pretty pretty okay. As George someone who Takai. likes vocal jams, I like this one, but it, the Yeah, it's one not is that bad. Eh. Um <laughs> oh. I think I'm trying I, to be nice. I, two two <laughs> quick thoughts about the you enjoy myself. One for anyone who was online during 2.0, this was referenced every time something bad happened. If they played a bad show, if they screwed up a song in a future God. performance, when Trey announced that they were breaking up throughout all of Coventry, this was consistently reminded of uh, reminded you were reminded of this like remember. They did screw up you enjoy myself in the third <laughs> show back. The other thing I want to say is often forgotten, but it's true. Hampton 09, they play you enjoy myself and they screw it up again. And Trey pauses and said, it meant so much to me to practice this. And I'm so sorry that we did it again, but we need to restart this song again. Yeah, no, that, that they did that on purpose. That was, they were, uh, they were, fucking with us it was great <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the second set there's a couple a couple of, there's a couple of good jams there's a the the wolfman's i think is a is a pretty mm-hmm. solid highlight of of the yeah. second set of the second night um the the makasupa well we, we can talk about the wolfman's but makasupa was just yeah. like reminded me again of the kind of state of mind that they were probably in and Seemed like they like those are all things that like he was mentioning the same kind of things that everyone else was doing, like waking up at three p.m. and smoking joints and going to Waffle Looking House. Fatties. Waffle House. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Classy. This Wolfman's, I recall, coming out of the run was the big highlight, uh, at least at least in the corner of the internet that I was on. That, that this was where people felt like both. 
and I, I went back and I was reading just like thoughts about like live thoughts about this. I'll spare you them all. But the one takeaway I had was people kept focusing on energy and this chase mm-hmm. of energy and possum kept coming up as this huge highlight and wolfman's kept coming up as this huge highlight. And the reason for them was specifically that that was when that energy that you used to feel mm-hmm. at a fish show. And even if you go back to summer 2000, I think almost immediately of the uh, bathtub gin from Homedale, 628-2000. It's one of the highest peaks I've ever heard of a fish jam. And that is not the band that shows up in Madison Square Garden or Hampton. They're much uh, they're much hazier in some cases. So you hear this Wolfman's, you hear the possum later in the second set. And it's like, okay, 1.0 high energy fish is back. And that's what people brought with them going, you know, with the five, six week wait until the winter, the the winter tour. We were looking for that. The same thing happened in 2009. Mm -hmm. We, we went into the show looking to hear what flavor of fish band was going to be present. Um, in 2003, we had, well, we hadn't been burned as many times, you know, we hadn't put our hand (laughs) up on the stove quite often enough to know that sometimes you just wait. Um, but in, in 2009, we still were looking for the same thing. It's like, oh, oh, they, they they didn't really jam. They had a lot of songs we wanted to play, but this part was really good. We, we walked away from there doing the same thing. Um, and I think the thing that I took away from the second set is not only is Wolfman's jamming kind of, it's there, um, but the Makasupa rem- shows that the band still has their sense of humor, and Possum mm-hmm. shows that too. Um, and the playfulness, uh, switching the instruments for the ending and all that. And that, that, that was fun. It was not a uh, virtuosic, virtuosic, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a good, that's a nice way to put it. I think that was nice. And contact nice. again, <laughs> had the, kind of the fun. And again, we predicted that that's like a for cool him. funky jam at the end too of that contact i like that it's i just cool, want to say that and... i just want to say one thing just which which is that trey also mentions hooters in in makasupa and yeah one of the only hooters i've ever been to in my life is hampton um in 1998 <laughs> when i watched the ohio state michigan football game at that hooters and it was so packed with fish fans i think it's like that whole area is just such a wasteland you know there's like not really anything <laughs> to do and there's nowhere really to Virginia (laughs) and if if the Hampton travel board is is listening we're we're happy to help you um get the word out otherwise but um it's just (laughs) like it's just it's such a weird place to go for a run of shows you know like you stay in a hotel near there and you just like you have to go to one of the places you mentioned in Makasupa because that's like all there really is. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. why it's like the, the mothership, car, right? It's like dropped in the queue. 30 minutes to get some yeah. good barbecue. You know, you just, just get away yeah. from there. It's true, there. true. Okay, so. sorry. That was that was not totally on topic. Um, Brian. I want to so do like weird. Jonathan's Hampton run. I want Jonathan to like take us under his wing and like take us to Hampton the way you would do we, it. I think we did a pretty good one in 2018, didn't we, RJ? We did. We did. Yeah. Jonathan okay, is great to go to. Field trip. You should go to shows with Jonathan because he has a he has a very like he has a very relaxed way of doing fish shows. <laughs> you you prioritize one, one show with him, and it was it was one of my favorite shows ever. So I, I concur here. Yes, he's a. Pro. You prioritize rest. You prioritize like hanging mm. out with your friends. You don't like, you know. I feel like you you, you approach it in the right way. Um, Thank you. So that's the that's the Jonathan section of the show. <laughs> Should we move on to uh the final night of the show here? One one four oh three. It didn't happen. this is the first show of Fish 2.0 to me that just feels like a fish show. Like there's no MSG's got the obvious buildup, it's the return. One two has the okay, it's Second show, the first show of this Hampton run. One three has these big attempts at like huge set listing moments that you know really try to shock and awe uh, uh, the listener and and the fans into you know get, getting back to that experience of of what fish really felt like in 1.0. This is kind of just a show. 
you know, there's great songs throughout the first set here. The second set feels really fluid and um, mm-hmm. it feels like the most cohesive uh, segment of music that they have played thus far in the 2.0 era. But the first set, Llama, Boogie On, Rogue, Maze, Anything But Me, Yamar, I mean, it's just like, it's songs and it's just kind of them settling back in and it feels low stakes in a way that um, I kind of feel like they and the audience probably needed just, we're going to another fish show is kind of the vibe I get. I'm going to take you up and, uh, and embrace fully. This, this is the first show of 2.0. The set one has one song that I like to listen to. And, uh, and, and I'm standing by that. It's really, I like the split open and melt on this. Actually, uh, Roger's Mm. kind of tasty too, but the split open and melt, I actually like on this. The rest of it, I, don't need (laughs) (laughs) skip 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 megan you you had some highlights yeah no yeah okay yeah i I haven't said anything about any of this so (laughs) you guys have better more that to say than i do go ahead megan sorry (laughs) i mean i'm gonna have a little bit of an unpopular opinion potentially but um i don't like rogue very much that song and i know that that's probably gonna like upset a lot of people you know, um, but I just, I I love, I love the music part of it. I don't like the lyrical part of it. I just feel like it just, I don't love it. And, but this version is actually good. I think Trey has like a really specially inspired solo in the middle page sounds really great. I think this is really nice. There's some like beautiful, delicate playing in there. This is actually a really nice version of the song. So I like that. And it made me actually start to rethink my opinion on the song. So Wow, that was yeah. Well, I'm really glad that I Brian didn't listen to me and cut you out of the show as soon as you said that about the first thoughts about. Rick I knew you weren't going to like it, but we and, can't all you know have what? the same opinions. That's true because that would be boring. Um, but also, I I liked your overall thoughtfulness on this one, and uh, I, I think we have to keep her around, Brian. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> this is this is one of four Rogers that are played throughout 2.0. Uh, they would play it in Worcester later wow. in the winter tour and then Alpine Valley and Vegas 04, um, which we will be covering in uh, April, I think. Um, right. We have that on the schedule. Vegas 04. If we listen that. to Hampton 03, we can do it. Oh my <laughs> um, God. We do now. Not, this, that is not the same. I don't thing. think I can that do it. That. A one-to-one relationship. I can't. RJ no, can. <laughs> this is, this is a very. Mm. You were there too. Whatever. I drove down to uh, Vegas uh, from college thinking I'm going to see my island tour. These these are future 2.0 mm. stories, and I did not <laughs> see my awesome. island tour. Nope. <laughs> uh, but to Megan's point, island. very different. Uh, Fishnet <laughs> notes that this is an outstanding version which combines exceptional tray soloing, strong page tray back and forth, and excellent dynamics, modulation driven by Fish and Mike. This one will make you weep with joy. I, mm, I didn't weep. To that. I didn't weep, but it was nice. It was nice. <laughs> Eventually, I don't know There's, who did. Add an asterisk I, here. Did not I just want to know? I can find out. I want to know who did these jam chart notes from from 2.0 because they're a little too enthusiastic for me. Like <laughs> usually, I read them and like after I listen to it something, was, I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like I think guilty. It was Wade, RJ, I think they got Wade to do it. It was Brian. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> The, Everything was the maze, awesome. The maze is the maze is pretty is pretty cool though. It, it, when I was listening to the maze, I was realizing that they were just excited to be playing. You know, like in the in the kind of page and trace sections, they were both, I think, just like going at it with a lot of enthusiasm, which is cool. But I think I but, was grooving on this maze when it when I was listening to it. I didn't. See yeah, it. yeah, it's intense. It's worth a listen. Megan, what what is the highlight of the of the show from your pin, from your perspective? I mean, I think the Mike's groove. I really like the Mike song, "Mountains in the Mist." I mean, it's no hydrogen, Jonathan, but I still think it's pretty in between there. And there's like this cool, interesting jam out of Mike's song. It's really different, and it kind of lands really well into "Mountains in the Mist." And there's just that song is so beautiful, and I think sounded really meaningful when they were singing it. There were so many moments in these shows overall that there were certain lines that obviously just really hit hard with them and with the crowd. And I kept thinking about that when I was listening to it, which is really kind of amazing. And then an awesome week of Pog. I think 
And I think landing in what's the use is great. I mean, I think this Weekopog is really good. I fully agree, actually. I think that, um, you know, tucking a little hydrogen in there wouldn't hurt, but uh, otherwise <laughs> it's, a, it's a great mic's groove. Uh, and the the Weekopog jam is really outstanding. It gets start, mm -hmm. It's not long, but it starts to get a little bit demented, which kind yeah. of presages the what's the use. And... Uh, I dig that. That's I'm here for that. Yeah, that to me is the highlight of the run. That that whole section, but it's just my opinion. One thing that you said that I think is really resonant is there are lines that seem to hit the band throughout the performance, and I think that is part of kind of the the ongoing challenge of this era is that they come out of songs like "Anything But Me" or "Mountains in the Mist," which is where the band is at personally professionally at this point in time um i mean i remember when they play anything but me at coventry trey almost lost it and it's like the fourth song of coventry and these ballads that they've written that they're bringing with them now are really speaking to where they're at in life and that was that's that was like a new concept and a new idea to fish at the time it's something we almost anticipate and expect now when they mm -hmm. play joy or they play miss you it's this sense of like okay we've had a really good segment of music now we're going to be reflective because life has happened to all of us. There was so much escapism in fish music prior to this. And round room is kind of one of the first records that you really hear these, you know, kind of deeper, more complex emotions as they're going through life. And so you hear that mixed in with a Mike's groove or following a crazy maze. And it just totally changes the dynamics of a show <laughs> for good. And, you know, for, yeah. for good and bad in some cases, but I agree with you. I really like this week of pog, the week pog. What's the use disease fast enough for you? 2001, that closing segment does such a cool job of balancing kind of distorted jamming with contemplative slower songs that just again, fit where the band is at right now. The tempo drop into fast enough for you is so nice. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and welcome strangely i know a lot of people will argue against a ballad that late in a show and uh, i won't i won't listen to them um if it's fast really enough like for that. you yes please yeah. Yeah. play that at every exactly. show please play that at every show please yeah and antics to end 2001 fun and then the show's over and we don't have to listen to anything else after that right <laughs> Well, I, I have something to say about 2001, but RJ, what are your thoughts Please. on this set? I'm just glad that they got a month before the winter tour started after this. That was my main, that was like my main takeaway. It was like, so they could warm I mean, up BB King, right? <laughs> We're, we'll get to that, I hope. Um, no, but I mean, you know, like the, if, if this winter tour had continued on through January, like it, it might've ended. Like, I don't know if they could have, like, like just, just with rest and travel and, like, the scene that we know was happening, it's hard to imagine, like, 20 dates happening after this and it being anything less than, like, a complete disaster. Because it, it does sound pretty different in February, I think, when they come back. Yeah, um, in February, they have some really good shows in February. Isn't yeah. that when they came back and started to establish the rules that kind of got them through the first portion yeah. of... Mm -hmm. The, the like well into the summer i don't know how far along those carried but uh i think it got him through the summer i i think that yeah. it was abandoned around the 20th anniversary but, but we had a question about that and and i think you know some of it is speculation but i, I think that what we do know is that <clears throat> to rj's point earlier the return prompted a celebration which spilled over into the stage in a way that was not conducive for a tight rock show. Leave it at that. And when they came back for a full tour six weeks later, I think that there was a clear understanding that we simply cannot do that again. That, that can't be a mm -hmm. part of all this. And so you hear almost from the start, I mean, I don't want, I don't want to bore our audience, but like we could go through show by show of that winter tour and really showcase. I know we're not going to, and really, really showcase some, <laughs> some <laughs> consistent highlights 
that lead up to that Greensboro show that RJ saw, which is a very classic high energy fish show that doesn't require, I mean, there's jamming in it, but it doesn't require the jamming to get it over the finish line. Um, the summer tour that would follow, you hear new material that comes in, you hear a band that is really creative and it all leads up to this incredible week of fish from Burgettstown through it. When they would come back later in the year, the challenges of this run would reemerge almost in full. And especially while Miami has highlights, Miami is a just insane mess. And that we spills that, over into uh, 2004. <laughs> last month, I think. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I enjoyed some of the summer. I, I had a blast at it. I was at the Greensboro show. That was great. Um, Arguably inarguably there's some definite high other high points on that winter tour and in the summer um and then i was done for the year because we had a kid on the first the day before the anniversary show on december 1st mm -hmm. so, yay. congratulations oh thank you thank you it's been 18 <laughs> years now so. So it's still but it's, it's never too late. late you're in under that 20-year wire so good job <laughs> we just made it um also, can I just ask a question? Do you guys, um, do you guys feel like going back to this that the the whole band was kind of out of sync? Because I actually, I felt like a lot of the, it, it sounded like everyone besides Trey was actually like pretty well dialed in in terms of practice and like playing. It, it seems like Trey was kind of burder, shouldering the burden of 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 everything, but I don't know. Curious what you guys think about that. I think one thing that is is said regularly, but it's often overlooked when talking about the slop of 2.0 and, and kind of the overall sound is it's one of the strongest eras for Fishman. And you point to any great jam like today, um, John Fishman is all over it. And he's the summer tour in particular is some of the greatest John Fishman that you will ever hear. And um, yeah, he came back fully ready to play again. Partying does not stop John Fishman. Uh, John Nothing Fishman stops John Fishman. <laughs> exactly. He is a drumming machine. The only thing that yeah. stops John Fishman is getting lost on the mountain. And then eventually he'll the, <laughs> um, the uh I think that overall, they're all well rehearsed. I just don't think that Trey and it times us i think that they do fall out of sync collectively i i i don't think that trey owns all of it but there are he's because he's out front it's so much more apparent when he misses when yeah. page misses something you don't pick up on it as easily unless you're you know but yeah. trey is like he's right there and you can't miss it and that's that's a challenge for him and uh you know, despite uh, his drum kits and keyboards and things he's done to try to move out of that center point, he, he's there and always will be. Um, what what is what are your kind of takeaways from this? Listening back to this run, I was going to say something about it, but like the the end of two thousand one, when Trey talks about the gratitude that the band feels and how happy they feel to be back is really telling because you don't really hear that throughout 1.0 and, and it, it kind of speaks to a lot of the themes that I've talked about through this is um, I think the band at this point in time, like they were almost cautious of like, if we come back, is everybody going to be there and everybody's there. And I think that they recognize throughout this final show, like this is going to be a little bit harder than we expected. We can't just pick up our gear and start playing and be fish again. And so the fact that everyone is still there by the final night, I think it has to be, um, you know, a really special moment for them. Um, so that, that just overall vibe that that's in every song that I've, I, I hear in this, that, that vibe carries them through 2.0 in a lot of cases. I mean, I think that the courage and the humility, like I was saying before, to come on stage when you were kind of, you basically conquered the world, right? Like you've reached this huge high point. You left the end of 1.0 playing this insane show in Big Cypress. And even your last shows of 1.0 are amazing in Shoreline. Like they're great. And you leave on this high note and then you come back and you're not where you were then. 
that's really hard. And you're not only doing that just with yourself, you're doing it in front of this huge audience that listens really carefully. And I think just the courage and the humility that that takes is just enormous and has to, I have deep respect for it. And I also think that my takeaway from 2.0 in general, at least especially in the beginning, is that they are attempting not to just look back. They are attempting to try new things and, you know, try new guitar tones and, and try new types of jamming, which I think is awesome and why Fish is who they are. Because your instinct would be to go back and just play what you done in the past that's done really well, right? Like, let's just play like this year, this year that was so amazing. So I think it really speaks to who they are as a band and how they're always trying new things and trying to, you know, look forward. Absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, they were, they were looking forward, but I think, you know, maybe a little, little foggy. It wasn't as easy maybe as they thought it would be, just like you mm -hmm. said. Um, I, I t go back. I went back to listen to these shows, and I had a lot of fun listening to them. Um, even the parts that aren't up to standards, up to Fish's standards. I think I don't. I don't think it's fair for me to have my own standards, even though I do because I'm a human. <laughs> but um, they know. They knew when they weren't always up to their own standard, um, but they kept pushing and. They definitely improved after these shows, but I don't think they're all bad. I was particularly pleased with the one that I'd seen, and you know, I uh, played some of it for my wife today. I was like, Remember that? She's like, "Yeah, this was crazy. This was fun," and uh, and so I have great memories tied to it as well. So, um, yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. There's never a bad fish show when you're there. I don't think. Well, <laughs> maybe. Wait till we get to Vegas of four. Vegas episode, yes. Yeah, okay, like, Vegas. We weren't going to talk about that. It's a loaded statement. <laughs> yeah, Thank but you. but generally, but generally, I agree oh, for yes. sure. Yes, I can only think of like Certainly two a lot exceptions. easier to have fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Next week on HF Pod, our worst live fish hooks. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That would I can actually, tell you all about uh, missing the fun. Tweezer Prize opener on 6-19-2010. It's, it's a feeling I've never forgotten. But anyway. <laughs> oh, now that I know about it, I'll make sure you never forget. Yeah. Forget it. yeah. <laughs> this is, but partially, I mean. Years the of whole, therapy have not gotten it away. So. <laughs> throughout the whole history of HF Pod, part of the reason we like to do these is because I think almost always we come away thinking, like this was actually better than I imagined it, or or there's other things to to revisit more than I more than I expected. This listening to these shows makes me excited to go to some February '03 shows to hear like the difference and the evolution because I think in the past I would just skip to a a February show that I know is good. So setting this context is helpful as a listener. So hope hope people listening and watching go back to some of these '03 shows. Um, Next week, in reality, we are going to talk about Mexico, and we're going to talk about 2017 Mexico. Five years, mm. five years after. Um, this is particularly exciting to me because, as far as I know, I'm going to Mexico next month. Um, I might not be going to Mexico, but as of right now, I'm going to Mexico. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, maybe I'll wear my, I'll wear my the shirt that my wife got me for Mexico to that. <laughs> Do that. HF Pod do live it. for good luck. I'm going to do it. Um, we're going to be back at 4.30 Eastern live next Wednesday, January 19th. And um, if you're listening as a podcast, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Um, before we officially depart, Jonathan, did you want to tell people about something? Oh, yeah. Well, I want to remind everybody that we, uh, you know, we have some very good friends at Sunset Lake CBD. They are a farmer-owned business that ships CV CD. Good Lord. You guys should get me when I'm fresh to read these because this is so hard to do some days. Uh, these, all these letters run together. Uh, Sunset Lake CBD <laughs> is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Uh, for years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. 
with product for everyone. They have pre-rolls, hemp cigars, hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, CBD coffee crafted to help with stress, aches, and pains. Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Um, I uh, have brought it up here before, but I have here in my desk my uh, uh, Sunset Lake Hemp Salve with Arnica. I put it on my hands to ease my arthritic aches and pains. You can uh, get that and more at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use the promo code HFPOD for 20 for 20% off your purchase. That's sunsetlakecbd.com, promo code HFPOD. Incredible. I really got that there after after that. It's just like the way you enjoy myself. You just had to stop, <laughs> start again. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, Brian, um, we'll be back next week. Is there anything you want to say before we, before we depart? I just have a question for the group and for the audience. It may be open-ended. There may not be an answer. I don't know. Why isn't it Friday today? (laughs) Uh, thank you. Thank you everybody for, for listening and tuning in. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. (laughs) Have a good day. Bye, y'all. Have a good Friday. (laughs) See everyone. Bye, everyone. worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.